0: Well, good morning, good morning, Arundel Bible Chapel. Um, uh, we are glad you are here today. Um, for you all who do not know who I am, my name is Nick Husterberg. I'm the new family pastor here, and we are just so happy to see you here and those who are joining us online. And um, we just want to let you know, as Mazin always says, that you are loved, and we are so glad you are with us. Um, as we get started, I just have a few announcements before us, um, as, before we begin. First of all, if you are interested in joining us in person, we have plenty of room, and we just want to continue to encourage you to register online. Um, how you register is on uh, the email we send you, the newsletter each week. Um, there's a place to register right there. If you're not getting the newsletter, please let us know, and we'll um, just email us at office office.arendell.org, and we'll make sure you get that each week. In that is also the link for the um, prayer, sorry, for the prayer on Wednesday nights, um, please join us with that. It's just a great opportunity to pray for our church and to um, and just bring up the Lord to some just special things that our church is going through and um, issues our church is, uh, as a family is going through. So, just be with us on Wednesday night. Uh, also, finally, um, just on the announcement side, um, the kids ministry, as we are uh, still not meeting, we're, I'm sending out lessons each week. And in those lessons are a couple of just good, uh, three good resources. First of all, it is a lesson that is very self-explanatory, um, and the links are just super easy to go through. Be doing that with your kids. It's going to be really encouraging to them and a lot of fun for them, and you can just work with them on that. Uh, there will be a link to a song, and for most Sundays, we're going to play a song um, for the kids, and if the kids have seen it online, they'll be a little bit more prepared to do it in service or on, and with us, and it's a really lot of fun, and the songs are always so scripture-centered. And encourages them to learn God's word, and if you listen to it, guess what? You might accidentally memorize some scripture to yourself, and you never know in the car you might be dancing to, with it yourself, so it's lots of them. And then also there'll be a sermon guide for your kids that they can fill out during the um, service. And please send that to us. Um, we'd love just to um, honor your kids for filling that out. Finally, today we have a guest preacher named John Brown. Uh, many of you might know him. I just want to read his bio. He grew up in Ottawa. And after graduating from Bible College and Seminary, him and his wife spent five years planting in Quebecois in Montreal East. In 1985, he was invited to join the Cross World Mission Leadership Team as the associate director responsible for Asian Ministries. In 1994, he received his doctorate from Denver Seminary. Uh, since 1995, Don has uh, served with African Inland Mission in Toronto. Uh, first, as their Canadian director, and in July 25, 2015, he moved, to his posi- he moved to the position of Director of Ames Ministry to Africans in Canada. Uh, John and Jennifer have three sons uh, Tim, Jonathan, and Greg. All of them grew up here at Arendelle and were grounded in the faith in the Sunday School and the youth group here. Uh, John and Jennifer live in Ottawa now. Thanks for coming back. I know you probably see a lot of familiar faces, and I'm hopefully glad to connect with you guys afterwards um and like i said guys we are so glad you all are here with us today and you guys have joined us online and as we just begin the service um as we always do we'd love to begin it in god's word so if you can please stand again we have a congregational with us a congregational uh, verse today and we'll be coming from revelation 4 um if you want if you can stand please stand with us and so like i said we'll be coming from revelation 4 as it says as leader right here and it has this on the screen and then when it says congregation, it'll, you'll speak it with us. And so let me begin. Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in the heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as it was, were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in the front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature like a face with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor to thanks to him, who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders... and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's pray. before you, to worship you, to praise you, and to honor you. May our hearts be um, prepared. May our hearts be opened. May our hearts be ready to be confronted with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Right now, Father, you sit down, you sit on the throne, controlling the cosmos And, Father, you have all things, you know all things, and you love all things. And, Father, you love us here so specially. And as we just come and we get to see who you are, Father, may we um, be changed as we are confronted with the glory of God. As we are confronted with your amazing reality. May we leave here, Father, seeing you more clearly. Lord, as we just go into this next aspect of worship, as we sing praise songs to you, may we sing this out of a heart overflowing with joy, overflowing with um, a sense of love of you. Because we know we are so greatly loved by you. Father, I just pray that you would have your hand on this service. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.
1: Well, amen. Thank you so much, Nick. Um, church, as we just start off the service in in a time of worship, I would encourage you to worship from your hearts. You know, God, God looks at the hearts, and that's that's how He is well pleased. You conquer the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done. Faithful forevermore you have done great things and I know you will do it again for your promise is yes and amen you will do great things God you do great things oh hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captain and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. Father God, we thank you for your greatness, Lord. We thank you for the breath in our lungs, Lord, because that is a gift from you every single day. I pray that you would just receive our praise right now, Lord, because you deserve to be exalted, Lord. You are worthy of our praise, Lord. Lord, just bless this time together, Lord. Soften our hearts right now, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to us, Lord. We just give this time into your hands and just have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
2: It is a special treat for, uh, for Jennifer and me to be back at the church that was home for more than 25 years. It, uh, it still is uh, very, very much in our hearts. You are, you are, uh, you are home for us. Uh, after our year in Ottawa, uh, this is still where our, our heart is where we, when we think of worshiping. So we, we uh, really count it as a very, very special time for us to be back. We would have been back a lot more regularly. We expected to be back regularly, but of course, COVID has changed all of that. A lot of our travel, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's great that we've been able to get back. Things are opening up some, and we've been able to be here this uh, this year. You are, for you were, and uh, for many years, many of our closest friends. We still count many of you as our as our closest friends today. It was here. That uh, we raised our three boys and, and it was uh, through interacting with you in Sunday school and the youth group that they came to love the Lord. You have, uh, as a church, been, been uh, deeply interested, and prayed and lifted us up and sacrificed financially for us as uh, was read a little bit earlier in our years of leadership in Africa Inland Mission. And now as we continue on with AIM in ministry to Africans in Canada, we can't thank you enough each of you have built into our lives in uh, in ways that uh, are too great to, to 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 list, too big a number to to list of the ways that you've 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 uh, impacted us. And so it is, as I say, very very special for us to be back today. And thanks for the welcome that we've already had. And we know that uh, out in the parking lot, with our COVID restrictions inside, out in the parking lot, we hope to be able to interact with, uh, with some of you again uh, before, before the end of our morning. With schools and universities about to start, with summer vacations coming to an end, uh, and a new business year just around the corner, we're hearing more and more people say, I just wish things would get back to normal. Just wish things would get back to normal. And that sounds, <laughs> it's, the, it's the cry of probably most of our hearts here. We, uh, it's what we want with the lockdown, with social distancing, with the economic uh, impact that, uh, that COVID has had. We just want things to get, get back to, to the way things were. I thought that, about that a lot this week, is uh, think about coming here and, and sharing and uh, just just some of what's happening, even in our own family, and in our own tight circle of, uh, of, uh, of family and friends up in Ottawa, uh, just shows how, how things have changed and how we, we want things to, uh, to get back. Our son, Tim, leads an international ministry to very disadvantaged children in, uh, in Africa and Nepal, over in Asia and in South America and with the uh, continued impact of covid on the economy people's giving uh, ability to give is changing and that not only has impact on an organization here but obviously double impact uh, out in the uh, in the international world where these kids are are really struggling we want things to get back to uh, to normal our daughter-in-law becky is an elementary school teacher she's within days now of going back and going back into the into the, the classroom. And so she's thinking, how can she protect her, her students? How can she herself be protected in this uh, very open environment? And when she gets back, to, back home in the evening, what is she going to do to protect her family after she's been out interacting with so many people? Our son Jonathan and his wife Tori both work in the medical field. Day by day, they have to be extremely careful in their dealings with, uh, with their patients, again, to protect them to protect themselves, and then of course, when they go back at night, they've got four kids, so they have all of the procedures that they need to do to step into the home and, uh, and to have a, have a healthy, healthy environment in the, uh, in the home in the evening. Just this past Thursday evening, Jennifer and I had dinner with a pediatrician who works out of Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. And, uh, and she was telling us how more and more of the children these days are coming in sicker than they used to be because their parents haven't been able to get them to the, to, to, for preliminary appointments at, uh, at the hospital or with their, with, uh, with their normal doctors. And so by the time they, she gets to see them as a specialist, the diseases or sicknesses that she would normally be treating uh, are, uh, are further along. And all of you, I know that every one of you could go through and, and repeat some of those and perhaps uh, more difficult challenges that you're facing in this, uh, in this COVID environment and what it's, what it's done to us in the last six months. It's right for us to want healing. It's right for us to want solutions, and it is very right for us to want stability. But in the midst of this, it's also good for us to, pa- to pause and think, what is God doing? What is, what is normal going to look like for, uh, for him? Or what does he want? Our God is a God of love and mercy. But because he's a God of love and mercy, does he want everything to return back to, uh, to the normal that, that maybe that we're looking forward to? Does he want all of that? What is normal? Tragically, along with normal health and normal school and and normal business, there's also normal sinning, normal selfishness, normal political intrigue, normal shady business practices. It's kind of what what happens out there or what used to happen out there. And as we think of moving out of the COVID crisis and into normal, is that what what, uh, we expect is going to continue? Chasing success, forgetting about our neighbors in need, living for our own comfort and, and entertainment. None of these things honor God, and none of these things are about the gospel. It's not the way God wants things. It's not the normal that God wants us to, to return to. Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us at, in, a, in times of crisis and change, uh, as, as this world is going through transition, Jesus gave us a prayer that I believe he wants us to really seriously consider. It's interesting that, uh, that it is a prayer that, that targets things returning or things being in the normal that God wants. It is the, uh, it is the, the, the life experience that God wants us to be, to be having and that we should be praying for. Don't we ache for, for, for God to work in that way, to make things the way he wants in his life. It is the Lord's Prayer that is a declaration of war against the old kind of normal. And so as we stand at the very precipice at the end of this summer, looking ahead to September that starts this week, looking ahead to a new season of business and school and and activities where we trust that many things will return to normal, I think it's good for us to stop and think about the Lord's Prayer and what God wants the normal to be in our lives. Regardless of all of the other circumstances, many of which we've mentioned, uh, what is the, the normal? that God wants for us. And so this morning, sisters and brothers, I'd like you to, uh, to look with me at Matthew chapter 6. It's a very brief passage, one of the best-known passages of, uh, of Scripture because it, this is one of the best-known prayers of, uh, of the Bible and in the world. Uh, if, you have your, if you're here in the, uh, in the sanctuary, then uh, you will find this passage, Matthew 6, on page 811 of your uh of your um, uh, pew Bibles, and at home you'll be able to find it as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Jesus, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, the uh, best-known sermon ever preached, a time of uh, of change and conflict in in Israel and Judah at the time, Um, Jesus says to his disciples, to his followers, to those who have followed him up on the Mount, pray then like this. in those few verses, why I have, I have entitled this message that this is a blueprint for prayer as we begin this abnormal fall, as we think about what lies ahead with all of the changes here at the, here at the chapel, but out in the world and in your workplace and at school. This is a blueprint for prayer for us as we step into a, a very abnormal fall. And in this new normal, we pray for... Uh, we, in, in the new normal, we, uh, we pray for uh, a constant wonder at the greatness of God. We, God tells us to be constantly full of wonder at his, at his greatness. The great preacher of the 1800s, Henry Ward Beecher, said, I used to think of the Lord's Prayer as a short prayer. But as I live longer, I see, and I see more of life, I begin to realize that there's no such thing as getting through it. If a man in praying that prayer were to be stopped by every word until he had thoroughly prayed it, it would take him a lifetime. (laughs) This is no ordinary prayer. These are no ordinary words. These are not something that we just kind of rhyme through. It's not just that this is a great prayer, it is because of the greatness of God that Jesus taught us to pray to that makes it so well-known, so applicable to us today at the, uh, at the end of August, at the threshold of a new, new church and a new business and a new school season. Verse 9 says, pray like this. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. We so often forget how unique it is How dumbfounding, what a dumbfounding privilege it is that we can go directly to God, the God of of the universe, and that we can call him, what? (laughs) That we can call him Father. Do you know that's not true of other religions? It's not true of other faiths. It's not even even true of many in, in our own circles, that they would think of going to God and calling him Father. Listen to these verses. John 1.12 says, "...to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God." His children. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 says, "...God sent forth his Son that we might receive the adoption of sons, whatever we were before, however far we were from him before." in Christ were adopted into his family. He becomes our Father. Doesn't that do something to you? That of all the people in the world, because of the, the, the time that you heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and the sacrifice that he has made and your decision prompted by the Spirit to trust him as your Savior, because of that, you can call him Father. And it's not a, a formal gift Original language here, Abba Father. That's the very name that Jesus had for Father. When you think that Jesus had that inseparable essence, that inseparable bond with his father, and that he, in that uh, with that type of a relationship, could call God Abba Father. He tells us, us, we've been adopted in. He tells us that we have an Abba Father. It's intimate. It's personal. It is intensely real. And our Abba Father is with us when we need him most, when we're overwhelmed with grief and sorrow, when pain seems too much, when fear cripples us and disease impacts us. In those times, he is our Abba Father. He is there. We can call him God, Dad. My own father passed away in Ottawa about 20 years ago. And there are still times when, boy, I'd like to, to talk to him and, and show him what, uh, what I'm up to uh, or ask him questions like, what do I do with the water problems in our house but, uh, that we've got right now? And, uh, and I'd like to tell him at times that I love him, and I'd like at times to thank him for being the example that, uh, that my dad was for me. I can't do that with my earthly dad anymore, but I thank, thank the Lord that I can do that anytime. I can call on my my heavenly father and call him my dad, my Abba, anytime, and so can you in Christ. Jesus says he is not just father, however. As as mind-bending as that is, he is our father. Jesus reminds us that God is the father of a family and we are the members of his family. It's the breath we breathe in Canada, isn't, isn't it, to be independent. It's our independence that, uh, that really largely defines us. But remember that as a follower of Jesus, you don't stand alone. You're part of something that's much bigger. You can look around the con- congregation here, a little bit easier for you at the back looking forward than from, from those of us at the front looking back, but uh, you're, you're aware that uh, even with the COVID restrictions of not being able to fill the church as we usually do, that uh, you're part of something big. And friends at home that are watching uh, by, uh, by, uh, on, on, on your monitors t- right now, you're aware, even in your living room or where you are, you're aware that you're a part of this fellowship and you're a part of something, uh, something that's bigger. And so as we pray, we pray as a member of the family of Christ, he is Our Father. You lift up Arendelle Chapel as you come to the Lord and pray this Lord's Prayer. Since Jesus is doing the teaching, since Jesus is the one who says, pray like this when you come to me, then it's worthwhile taking just a bit of a step back and thinking, what did it mean to Jesus when he said, Father, in John 9:4, Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Jesus thinking about his Abba Father and thinking about the responsibility that he had that came with calling God Father. In John 6, 38, he said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to, to do the will of my Father who sent me. As Jesus called God Father, and he always did, when uh, there's about 150 references of Jesus calling his uh, calling, uh, in his prayer calling, uh, calling uh, God Father. When he said that, he was aware there was a responsibility that came with, uh, with calling uh, his father Dad. And then he says in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so send I you. And so I think implicit in this prayer in Matthew 6 is a a quiet reminder that as we come to God, as we come to our dad, our dad father in heaven, there are implications, there are are responsibilities that come with it to work the works uh, of uh, of the father, to do what he wants us to do. N.T. Wright in his book, The Lord and His Prayer, says, the temptation is to switch off the news, to shut out the pain of the world, to create a painless world for ourselves. But if we take the risk of calling God Father, if we take the risk of calling God Father, then we are called to be the people through whom God shows his love and heals the pain of the world. That's why, Wright says, that's why calling God Father is the great act of faith, of risk. It's a wonderful privilege it's a responsibility to our Father. And not only do we have, have that, that, that honor of calling our great God our Father, but um, he should be held in highest honor, Jesus says, wants us to remember that. He is Dad. He is our heavenly Father in heaven. But he, we, he, he continues, hallowed be your name. Jesus uh, drops this, this rather obscure word. We think of hollow, not hallow. We, uh, we wonder what that means. Hallowed be thy name. It's maybe one of the more unusual uh, phrases that we know and come, that comes to our mind in the New Testament. What does it mean? Well, it's really not that curious at all. Do you remember a moment ago we were singing? Uh, we were singing Holy, Holy, Holy from Revelation chapter 4. It's, uh, it's really just saying, that, that God is holy and he should be recognized as holy. It means that he is set apart or he is to be revered. He's, Jesus is saying in our prayer, as we launch into this fall, never forget to be praying that God, God would be revered, that his name would be revered. And it is his name. It's, uh, it says, hallowed be your name. Interesting, eh? He doesn't say, may God be hallowed. Uh, may God be be, uh, be revered. He says, may your name be revered. A name in the Bible re- represents the whole nature of the person. It's the sum total of, of a person's a- attributes or, or characteristics. And so when Jesus says the name of God, he's saying everything about God, everything about God. And as I pray, I'm saying, help me to be in awe of everything about you, God, God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Be still and know that I am God. God, may you be revered. May everything about you be held in, in highest honor by all people at all times, in all places. Hallowed be your name. Can you imagine the difference in the world if everyone viewed God that way? And this great God wants earth to become more and more like heaven. He is hallowed in heaven. Jesus says uh, and prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is just the rule of God, the rule of God wherever he is. If we ever thought of the the kingdom of God as something that's pie in the sky, that it's some some expression of the Bible that really doesn't really... uh, have any application to to where I am. It's just where God is that that he would be seen as ruling. It's all about the here and now. It's not the hereafter. It's all about the here and now. The kingdom of God very simply is where the king is, where God is, where he rules. Heaven is God's space where there is no injustice, no hunger, no guilt, no evil. The earth is our world, our space where there is unfortunately all of those things evil and regret and suffering don't we long don't we long as christians don't we long as those who call god our father for heaven's space for god's space to uh, to be like ours our, for our space here to be like god's space during my 3 years of seminary I I attended seminary just outside of Washington, D.C. During during those years, my my closest friend was a young African-American man named Byron. I had a a Bible study with Byron in his dorm at the the University of Maryland, and over three years, we uh, we spent a lot of time together, and it was amazing to see how how tremendously he grew in the Lord, (laughs) and and, uh, the discipleship that took place very quickly became very, very mutual. He was building into my life. After three years of friendship with Byron, um, he became, at, uh, just at, at about the time of my graduation, he uh, became one of my uh, groomsmen in Jen's and my wedding. And several weeks after that, I was a groomsman for him in, in his and, and Pam's wedding. And so you can imagine that, uh, that we have stayed very close. After my graduation, he, uh, he actually finished up his studies at, uh, at the undergrad level. He went into seminary, into my seminary, continued on, and uh, for 30 years he has been the, the same pastor. He's stuck with one church uh, just outside of, of Washington, D.C. So I couldn't help but think about Byron and Pam and how they were doing when violence exploded in the U.S. this spring. I was thinking a lot, you know. Hear about the news reports, you read, read what's happening uh, in the, um, on the internet. and I kept thinking, what, what's going on with Byron and Pam? And so on Saturday evening, May 30th, I sent him an email. Dear Byron, Jennifer and I have been horrified by the injustices inflicted on black Americans this, these past weeks. It's reaching a climax on Tuesday with the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. If it's offensive and distressing for us, we can only imagine what you, your family, and the brothers and sisters at Emmanuel Baptist Church are feeling. As you preach to your youth and your congregation tomorrow, may the Lord powerfully use you to speak peace to those who are distraught and to renew the faith of those who are confused and angry. Well, with all that was happening and with the responsibility on Byron's shoulders, it took a few days for him to to reply. But towards the end of the week, he said, Dear John, thank you for thinking and praying for us during this this, uh, turbulent season in the U.S. The events of the day are not new to me. I have lived it my entire life. I know that people have a sin nature that can only be eradicated by the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I came to terms with this a long time ago. It doesn't make it any easier to endure hatred and injustice, but listen to this. He says, I look forward to the return of Christ that will put an end an end to all unrighteousness. I look forward to the return of Christ that will put an end to all unrighteousness. Father, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. One day God will put down every unjust, every, every impulse that is evil in this universe. The new creation will come that is Perfectly in line, perfectly in tune with God's character. Your kingdom come, Jesus prays. He teaches us, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, in the new normal, we will constantly wonder at the grace of God. And then, second, in the new normal, we will see our needs differently. In the new normal, we will see our needs differently. We've been through the first, we've got through the first half of the prayer where it is very you centered, you being God. We, we're, we're focusing on God and, and His greatness. And then, without, without in any way diminishing that or without taking our, our eyes and our hearts off of the greatness of God and, and our Father, now we look at our own needs in light of God's greatness. And we will see our needs differently in, in verses 11 to 13. He focuses on our needs, on the needs of those who are, who are praying. By saying that, I'm not saying, as I say, that, that we're in any way minimizing the greatness of God that we have been meditating on, but now we look at ourselves and we look at ourselves and our needs differently. You see, if our goals in life are not in line with God's goals, we're going to see our, our needs in a, in a particular way, and they're not necessarily the way that God sees them. If our life's purpose is simply to be happy or successful, we're going to define our, our needs as those things which, which enable us to get to that kind of a lifestyle, to be happy in, our, in, and, of, in and of ourselves. But when the purpose of, of life is to work for God's purposes, our needs become framed by, those, uh, by, by that environment, by that goal. And so the needs here in verses 11 to 13 are what we need what we require to carry out God's great agenda. And if that's the case, let's look at the needs that Jesus calls us or tells us to pray for. First, we recognize our our dependence on our Father for our basic needs. Our basic needs. Give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) Isn't it tempting to race through everything else in the Lord's Prayer so we can get to this one? Give us this day our, our, daily, our daily bread. We race through the Lord's Prayer as, as, up to this point. Uh, we, uh, we race through on earth as it is in heaven, and then we take a breath and say, okay, now this is what I'm really here for. Uh, God, uh, I, I, I must have this, this and that. I want this daily bread. I want these things taken care of. And off we go on our shopping list. As someone has said, God gets in the, or, or uh, uh, greed gets in the way of grace. But if we don't spend time worshiping, if we don't spend time worshiping our, our Father in heaven and seeking to honor his name, then his desires and the things that we count as our daily bread are all stamped me. They're stamped me. What is this bread? Bread is simply our, our basic physical needs. It's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.8. If we have food and clothing, then we'll be content with that. It's totally right for, to, to pray for basics, for food that gives us the energy, for health that gives us the ability to, to, to function the way God wants us to, for clothing that gives us warmth and makes us presentable to others. We need those basics, don't we, to do God's work, to do God's work and to be what he wants us to be. Give us this day our, our daily bread. God, Jesus says, will provide everything our bodies need to accomplish everything that he desires. That's exactly what, uh, what he's saying right here on the Sermon on the Mount as he, as he instructs us to, prayer, to pray. Matthew 6, 8 says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so go to your room, close the door, and pray, uh, pray to your father. Then your father, who sees what you need in secret, will reward you. So... Jesus is building, in the the Lord's Prayer, he's building on on some of what he has said or what he will say in this this Lord's Prayer, rather in the Sermon on the Mount. And in, the sermon, in this sermon, on, in chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Still within this, Speaking to the same group of people still up on the, on the top of that mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, he says within the context of the Lord's Prayer, ask and it will be given to you for everyone who asks receives. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who, who ask him? Jesus uh, is, is just repeating this, the... the uh, the importance of asking for our basic needs, and so we we first ask for those. That's uh, that's one of the needs that uh, that he he instructs us to pray about, and then second in verse twelve we recognize our need for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. In Jesus' culture, the term debt was uh, was just another way of talking about sin. Well, we say that's a bit of a jump. How do you get from debt to to sin? How does that how does that work? Why is that why is that expression used? Why does Jesus tell us to forgive us uh, that we should be forgiven our debts? Well, in their thinking, the praise that uh, the the praise that we are stingy about in not giving praise to God that f- creates a a debt towards God. We're we're holding back on Him. It's a debt when we fail to obey the way God tells us to obey. We're we're falling short. We're not. We're not uh, not, uh, acting the way way we should. We're holding back from from God as his debtors. And so we have a spiritual debt. It's another way of saying we sin. And when you pray this, you're praying that that God will help you make a course direction. You're reminding yourself that even though you've prayed for God's will to be done, you've failed to do God's will. I've failed to do God's will. As I come to God in prayer, and I think back and into those ways that I have failed, the debt that I have towards him, and I ask for God's forgiveness. And so we, we, we recognize uh, one of our needs is for daily, our, our daily bread, our, that our daily needs would be we taken care of. We recognize our need uh, for forgiveness ourselves, but we recognize, third, our need to forgive we need our need to forgive. We recognize our need for forgiveness, but also in verse 12, to forgive. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who have abused us in some way. Just as when we sin, we create a spiritual debt to God, others who have abused us in some way have created a debt towards them. And, uh, and this debt must be forgiven. You see what Jesus is saying. Our need for God's forgiveness is in, in, intrinsically linked to our need to forgive others. The Lord's prayer should should show us that to do God's work, we need God's forgiveness, and we need to demonstrate God's forgiveness to others. One of the most vivid images in the New Testament is of a man running. If If you think of all of the the pictures that come to your mind when you think of the New Testament, one certainly can be of, uh, of, a, of a man running. In Jesus' world, in the, uh, the, the more high-ranking that you were, the, uh, the slower you went, so to speak. It was, uh, it was even undignified to walk quickly let alone to run. Running showed a lack of dignity, a lack of your personal importance. And so when Jesus in Luke 15 told the story of the wealthy father running towards his son, it was shocking. It was shocking to those who heard him. Even more shocking when his listeners uh, even more shopping, shocking for his listeners than, than for us. And when we discover why this man was running, it becomes even more jolting, more, more upsetting. This man was running to greet someone who had disgraced him. It's called the parable of the prodigal son, but it could just as easily be called the parable of the running father. That was a shock to those that listened to Jesus. Jesus. Our generation has not only dismissed the idea of sin, it's trivialized forgiveness. When you replace God's will and morality with a philosophy that says, if it feels good, do it, then forgiveness isn't really very important. In fact, it isn't really even thought of. And so instead of forgiveness, we have some vague philosophy, some vague idea of of tolerance. And what you end up doing is just sweeping up these debts, we're just sweeping up these, these, uh, these sins under the carpet, hiding it. But if the Father in heaven, but if the Father in, in Jesus' parable had only intended to tolerate his son coming back, then he certainly wouldn't have been running down any road, wouldn't have been looking out for him, and running down any, that road to meet him. Forgiveness, says N.T. Wright, is richer and higher and harder and more shocking than we think. And that's why we need to pray for it. We need to pray for it. In these days, we think of politicians, we think of business leaders, we may think of a university president, or even our neighbors who mess up their lives, lives and cause all kinds of suffering. But wrap all those images up And remember a young Jewish boy in a far country feeding pigs. And with that image in your mind, say, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then in your mind's view, your Father in heaven does the unthinkable, the disgraceful thing. And running down the road, he greets and hugs his confused and muddy son. Asking for forgiveness and forgiving others is not easy. That's why we pray for the help of our Father. It takes time, it takes time. So first, as far as listing our needs, we recognize our dependence on God for our daily physical needs. And second, in verse 12, we recognize our need for forgiveness. And then in that same verse, our need to forgive others. And then fourth, we recognize our need for protection. Don't minimize this. Don't minimize this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A woman in a shopping mall sported a t shirt that proclaimed Lead us not into temptation, I can find it myself. <laughs> Uh, she wanted people to uh, to have a good chuckle as uh, as she walked by in the uh, in the stores, but that one line raises a question. We are what are we asking for when we say, "Lead us not into temptation." Why should we ask God not to lead us into temptation? Even the phraseology is uh, is is different, isn't it? It's a kind of a, a different way of putting those words together. Lead us not into temptation. Well, the Lord here is using a a, a figure of speech that uh, by saying something positive, he's negating the negative. That itself sounds like a bit of a mouthful, but let me explain. If I say, it's no small matter, it means it's a what? It's a a big thing. It's no small matter means it's a big thing. Or if I say, not too shabby, I mean, well, it's pretty nice. And if I say, I'm no spring chicken, well, <laughs> I'm no spring chicken. <laughs> I'm, I'm older. And when we say, lead us not into temptation, what we're really saying is, keep me away from temptation. Okay? Make sense? Keep me away from temptation. It's a figure of speech. It's a a way that Jesus is saying to, to punch that reality home. We're recognizing that God has the power to lead us past the lures to sin that threaten us. Now, I admit it. I have to admit it this morning. I am a lousy fisherman. I have an aluminum boat. I've got an anchor for that boat. I know where the best fishing is on the lake that we're usually at. We've got fishing nets and we've got enough fishing rods for all of our ten grandkids if only they would keep them untangled. <laughs> we've got it all, or I've got it all. But I hate cleaning fish. I don't particularly like eating them. And I just don't have the patience to be going out at six in the morning to be going after them. All of that, I'm not a great fisherman, even though I've got all the stuff for it. But, having said that, I love to see someone who's good going out and doing it and being successful. I like that part of it. I like. And a few weeks ago, my son Greg brought his best friend Jeremy up to our place. And I'm telling you, that guy from uh, from Belleville, he knows how to fish. He's out on Lake Ontario every weekend. He knows how to do it. And uh, he has all the right lures for the specific fish that he wants to get. Now, knowing that the boys were coming up to, uh, to our place, Jennifer and I went out and we got those, one of those styrofoam pots full of uh, those big juicy uh, worms so that when they came, they would have them and they'd be available to, uh, uh, to take them out uh, onto the lake to do some fishing. However, when uh, Greg and Jeremy got down into the boat, they left the styrofoam container on the, uh, on the wharf and out they went with some specific lures that, that Jeremy had brought with them. Now, as they were going out to look for bass that day, or to try to catch bass, left my, my juicy worms, my wigglers, back on the, uh, on the wharf. And what did he pull out to put on his, on his, uh, on his line? But a, a great, big, oversized, fluorescent purple worm. Like... Like what on earth kind of an animal would go after that? I'm thinking that's that's crazy to uh, to think. What what kind, of, what kind of luck is he going to have fishing with a great big purple fluorescent worm? Well, he cast it out. Jeremy cast it out with Greg. They uh, cast it out and he let the worm, that shiny purple worm, fall onto the uh, the ground or onto the the the, the, uh, the bottom of the lake, and then he give it a, a bit of a jerk to lift it back up again so that it would slowly start to, uh, to to sink. And I'm telling you, on his first catch, he had a bass race after that thing, got stuck, and I pulled him out, and it was only a few hours later that they had him for dinner, all because of a great big purple worm that I thought was crazy. But you see, he knew what was just the right lure for that particular fish. It worked. And Satan knows just the right... W- lure that will, uh, that, will, that will cause us to fall, it would draw us and cause us to fall. It may seem crazy to others, wouldn't be a, a temptation to others, but Satan knows exactly what it is that will trip us up. God has the power to lead us past all the lures that might be general in society, but all the lures that, are just, that Satan has just for you. Let's face it. We don't usually want to, uh, to be delivered from temptation. It promises too much fun. Some smart Alex said, don't resist temptation. It may go away and not come back. <laughs> but that's not, what, that's not the way we should be thinking. Temptation stirs the blood and inflames the imagination. If we were revolted by it, it wouldn't be temptation. It wouldn't be temptation. The enemy of our souls wants us to run away from God. We need God in time of temptation. We need him to deliver us. Only God can help us see the lure for what it is. And then finally, on our screen, we see in the new normal, we will understand that everything we have comes straight from Jesus himself. Think for a minute about what we've seen this morning in the Lord's Prayer. The greatness of our Father in heaven. His right to be honored by everyone in the world. His desire that our earth should be more and more like his heaven. His provision for our physical needs. His provision of forgiveness and help in forgiving others. And his help in times of temptation. Every one of these realities and requests is only possible because of the death and resurrection of Christ. You see, not only does Jesus teach us the Lord's Prayer, He alone makes it possible. We can come to our great God as Abba because Jesus built the bridge between us as sinners and Himself, the Holy God. Only through Jesus can we be sons and daughters of God. Only through Jesus are we connected to one another as the family of God. Only through Jesus is his kingdom coming. Only through Jesus can God-haters become God-lovers. Only through Jesus we find power to do God's will on earth as it is done in heaven. Only through Jesus do we have complete and everlasting forgiveness. And only through Jesus are we protected from from Satan's power. Dear friends, this prayer of Jesus is powered by the good news of Jesus, the gospel. You see, not only does Jesus teach us this prayer, he alone makes it possible for us to pray it and to see God answer this way in our lives. And so if Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer so we could live a new normal this fall. Let's begin praying it now. Let's begin praying it this morning, slowly, thoughtfully, humbly, gratefully, allowing its truths to shape us and shape the rest of our prayers through the day, whether it's today or this week or in days to come. So I'd like to ask all of you to uh, to stand, Thank you to, to stand now, and for those of you at home, to perhaps stand in your, uh, in your living room and in the place that you're watching the monitor, and could we conclude today by saying the Lord's Prayer together in the sanctuary here, as, as I say, and, uh, and at home. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. That's our prayer today, Father. Make it our prayer all through this week and in the days to come in the new normal that you want in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.